Today's scripture reading comes from Genesis 1, 26 to 31. Then God said, let us make man in our image, according to our likeness. They will rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, the livestock, the whole earth, and the creatures that crawl on the earth. So God created man in his own image. He created him in the image of God. He created them male and female. God blessed them, and God said to them, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and every creature that crawls on the earth. God also also said, Look, I have given you every seed-bearing plant on the surface of the entire earth and every tree whose fruit contains seed. This will be food for you, for all the wildlife of the earth, for every bird of the sky, and for every creature that crawls on the earth, everything having the breath of life in it. I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good indeed. Evening came, and then morning, the sixth day. The word of the Lord. Thank you, Audrey, for reading that. This fall, we're in a teaching series on the Bible's first book, the book of Genesis. And what we'll be doing is looking at the first 11 chapters in the book. And as I've been saying the the past couple weeks, what we're meant to do is think of these 11 chapters in the Bible as the prologue, the first words, the beginning the introduction that sets the course and makes sense of everything else that follows. Not even just everything else in the Bible itself, but everything. This prologue is the prologue to everything. (laughs) Everything in our human experience. Everything in our stories. This section... If you were to grab that section in your Bible, if you have it, and put your fingers around it, that section is the prologue, the beginning that God gives us as the foundation and the direction for everything he's made. So it's very important. And if we haven't spent sufficient time with this part of the Bible, if it's, if it's unfamiliar to us, or if it's been a while since we have return back to it and spend time thinking, reflecting on what is there for us. It's like we're living our lives with those pages ripped out of our stories, how we make sense of the story of the world. We'll forget who we are. We'll forget where we come from and where we are going. And all this is especially true of this passage that we just read together. Without this, if we ignore it, if we don't know this, or don't often come back to this, we will be living with amnesia, a deep spiritual amnesia, forgetting who we are. Yes, we'll be able to live in the present, we'll be able to live our lives, but it's like we've forgotten who we are and where we come from. There's all kinds of uh, popular movies, or I I should say this is a popular theme in well-known movies. We could probably think of a bunch. Memento, that's, that's a good one. Total Recall, Born Identity, 
Finding Nemo, Finding Dory, all these things. They have to do with people who are trying to discover, rediscover who they are because they have a case of amnesia. This passage is meant to cure that for all of us. We're going to be talking about the image of God, what that means. And I have two points for us this morning, how God made us and how God remakes us. This passage here is, is the first, it's the shorter of two passages in the book of Genesis that tell us about the creation of humanity. Chapter one right here, the creation of humanity is uh, told within the broader context of the creation of all things. So this is at the end, this is like the crowning achievement of God's creative work here at the end of Genesis one. In Genesis two, we'll be looking at that chapter later. The text is specifically focused on the creation of Adam and Eve. The narrative slows down and it gets more specific. And like I said, we'll spend time on that later. But this morning, we're going to focus mainly on this passage. It's a short passage, but there is so much here for us that is important. The first thing we see here, I have a slide for this, simple point. God made us we are creatures. How did God make us? Well, God made us. He made us as creatures. That's the first thing we see here. And we can move to that slide. Makes me feel good to see it. There it is. So we all see what we're looking at together. This is obvious, but we can't just skip on by this, that God made us. We are creatures, just like everything else in Genesis 1. You may have heard a famous quote attributed to Voltaire. He said, the French thinker, God made man in his image. And ever since, man has been returning the favor. Now, Voltaire was a critic of religion, but he's making a great point here. If we are creatures, then we don't get to make God. If we are creatures, we don't get to make gods, and we don't get to be gods. But he observed that is, in fact, what happens all the time. If this, though, is our prologue, if this section, just this alone, if this is true, then there are some things we were made to be and created to be and do by God, and there are some things we were not made to do or to be. In our modern world, the way many people think is like this, to live a life story, to live out my story in a way that is life-giving meaningful, self-caring, affirming. This is how you begin and this is how you start. See if these things sound familiar. You define yourself. You find your purpose. You follow your heart. You look within and create an identity to find out who you are. Does that sound familiar? This passage teaches us that none of these things are the right starting point for human beings. If used as our prologue in our lives, there will not be at the end of these things life-giving results. But instead, it will be life-taking, life-draining. It's not truly self-caring, but self-hurting. It's not properly affirming your worth, but instead, it's leaving it to yourself to prove your worth, to earn it, or to give it to yourself. And all this is crushing. All this is crushing us. 
to the extent that this is how we live out our lives and understand our stories. Genesis 1 says, you are not God. In our modern culture, we often default to thinking that it'd be so free and so great. If there was no God, we get to make up reality for ourselves. It sounds thrilling, but in fact, it is crushing. And what the Bible teaches us here is so much better. But it doesn't seem like it at first. I realize that. You're saying, what's wrong with all that? That sounds pretty good. How can this be better than that? In verse 26, God says, let us make man or humanity. Adam here, the the Hebrew Adam, is humanity as a whole. There's something so good here that we don't often see as good. And I'm going to say it in one word, limits, the word limits. There's a quote from our Reflection Quotes uh, that captures this uh, from Kelly Capich, this great book, You're Only Human. Uh, He says, God is the good creator who designed us as good creatures. Part of being a creature is having limits. I don't know if we have that slide or if it's in your Reflection Quotes at the beginning of the bulletin. Part of the good of being a creature is having limits. Limits? Is that good? Well, we have speed limits. That's for our safety and the safety of others. That's good. Calorie intake limits for our health. Hours we can be awake as human beings. Sleep for our sanity and for our rest. We have credit card limits for our financial health. And we could go on and on. We struggle to see the good in limits, but as creatures made with limits, Genesis 1 would encourage us to embrace our God-given limits as so good and so much better than living a life without limits. This is so good. I'm learning to love this more and more. I used to hate this, but as a part of my own sanctification, I'm seeing Man, how good this is. Limits. You don't have to be God. You can't be. You don't have to decide who you are. God will tell you. You don't have to look within yourself to find yourself. Look to God. He will tell you who you are. He will show you. You don't have to rely on yourself to affirm yourself and to find your worth. God has already made you with more worth than you could ever imagine. You don't have to figure it all out, control it all, be it all, do it all. But doesn't it feel like, doesn't it feel like this is what we are being asked to do? Let's just talk to our students for a moment. You should be a straight A student. You should look amazing. You should be amazing at your sport or your extracurricular activity. You should be serving in your community and getting those volunteer hours up. And why aren't you a musician in a rock band or maybe playing in a classical orchestra? And shouldn't you be getting into a top college? When you add all that up, don't you see? (laughs) Don't you see? That's crushing. (laughs) And it is crushing our young people. And we all have a version of that for ourselves. 
God said in Genesis 1.26, let us make humanity so friends, we can be free. We don't have to make ourselves, define ourselves, find ourselves, and prove our worth. You are only human, a creature, and God's limits are for your good. God made us as creatures, but secondly, God made us in His image. There are limits, there are restrictions, there are boundaries, but there is also great glory and great beauty because we are made in the image of God. So we are, this text teaches us, not divine, we are not gods, but we are made in the image of God. Let us make man or humanity in our image according to our likeness. There's been a lot of theological ink spilt on the words image and likeness, what's the difference, all these kinds of things. A lot has been written about that. If I read all of this discussion before preaching this sermon, I would have to wait till I was like 75 years old to preach this sermon. But I was studying it and reading it, and here's the takeaway. These two words are not talking about two different aspects of our humanity. They're used interchangeably, even in the book of Genesis. Two ways of describing the same thing. The word image is used throughout the Bible, actually, to, uh, of idols. The image of an idol that represents a god. It represents something else. And likeness is a word that captures the concept of something being like something, yet distinct from that something. Like looking in a mirror. When you look in a mirror and you see your reflection, the reflection is not you. It's not equal to you. But it represents accurately who you are, right? That's something of what is being communicated here. This verse is saying all we are as humans is meant to mirror and reflect and represent God. It's an incredible concept. That is what we were made to be. What could be a more incredible beginning to your story, our story, than this? We're not God but we are made in the image and likeness of God. This is who we are. This is what it means to be human. This is not talking about just something that is a part of us. Which part of me is made in the image of God? Do I need to go searching for that part? No, this does not say that we have the image of God or that we even bear the image of God. This says we in our whole person are made in the image of God, soul, mind, and body. Now, sometimes we want to think about this and like, how is, is human, you know, humanity different than the rest of creation or animals? And we look to our different aspects of our humanity that make us human. Some point to our rationality. We can think and we can reason. We have knowledge. Yes, that's a part of it. Some point to our spirituality, that we can commune with God and know Him and know one another beyond just a material interaction. Yes, that's a part of it. Some point to our moral capacity that we can actually reflect the communicable or the shared attributes of God himself and his love, his compassion, kindness, and so on. And yes, that is a part of it. And so much more. Our whole being was made to reflect and represent God. It's incredible. But if we move too quickly into kind of getting abstract 
and trying to figure out which parts of us and how does this all work, we can move too quickly past these actual verses which have so much for us here. So I want to look closely here at this text. Three things. What does it mean that we are made in the image of God? One, and we have a slide for each one of these points. Every human being has royal dignity, glory, and inestimable worth. Right now in our culture, we're talking a lot about equality. We're talking a lot about justice. We're talking a lot about human dignity and human rights for all people. This text, this prologue, one of the reasons why it's so important, because it gives us an objective, true basis for these things. But this goes beyond speaking just about equality and human rights. It establishes a basis for human royalty. So in the ancient Near East, there was only one person who could be called the image of God. You could probably guess who that might be. It was the ruler. It was the king. The kings would often say, I am here, I am the king because I am the image of God. So I have divine authority over your life, over this country, to do with your life what I please. This story, written in the context of the ancient Near East, was radical. And it is still radical today that says, this is not just about the king. This is not just about those who have power and means and wealth. This is about every single human being. You are royal. You are crowned with glory and honor. There's another place in the Bible that speaks to this. That is a reflection on this very point. It's Psalm 8. It's how we began our service. If you turn to page 2 in your bulletin, you will see that text. Keep in mind, this psalm was written far, far later than Genesis. When human beings had fallen into sin... We had stepped away from our purpose. We become broken. The image has become corrupted. Yet still, in Psalm 8, in this song about this text, look what it says. If you're looking at the bulletin on page 2, under leader it says, You have made him, who? Humanity. A little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. Yes, we are fallen and broken and sinful, but we have not lost our glory. We are still crowned with glory and honor. When it says a little lower than uh, the heavenly beings, the word there in the Hebrew is Elohim. It's usually translated God, and there's a lot of debate and conversation. How do we translate it here? Is he saying God has made us a little lower than God? We get a little uncomfortable with that. Like, wait a minute, is that, is that elevating us too much? Or is it a little lower than the heavenly beings, which is another way that you could translate that word. Either way, this psalm is saying, do you realize who you are? Do you know you were made with royal dignity? So I won't do this every week, I promise. I did this last week. You know what's coming. I can see in your faces. Last week, 
we talked about our original goodness, and we turned to one another and said, you are an OG, and that was for last week. But this week, what we are going to tell each other, going to speak to one another with the dignity that each of us deserves. So turn to somebody next to you and say, your majesty. <laughs> this is good. There's a lot of laughing happening. I know you're not mocking each other in terms of saying, yeah, your majesty, sure, you're the king. Maybe that's a little uncomfortable. Did you see what C.S. Lewis said in the reflection quote there at the beginning of the bulletin also? He said, there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. Every human being has royal dignity. This is the teaching of Scripture. Secondly, Every human being to be made in God's image means every human being has a great purpose. Verse 28 tells us what that purpose is. It says in verse 28 that God blessed humanity and said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it. Rule over everything. When an image of a ruler went up in a certain place in the ancient world, and that would happen, there would be a statue, right? A statue of a ruler. That meant I claim this territory. What happens here in this land better reflect my will, my desires, and my purposes. That's what the statue meant. We are made to rule over the world as God would rule, reflecting his purposes, his heart, his desires, and his will. This is often called the cultural mandate that God has given to the human race to take the good world that he has given us and cultivate it, make something of it it, that would give him honor and glory in all that we do. We're going to talk more about that later, but every human being has a great purpose. We'll cover that in a later sermon at greater length. Thirdly, to be made in the image of God means every human being is interdependent. Look at verse 27. This is uh, the first poem in the Bible. It says, so, here's a summary, it's saying, God created man as a whole, all of humanity, in his own image, everyone. He created him, each single person, in his image, in the image of God. So there's individuality and equality of all. And he created them, male and female. And here we have the interdependence of all of us. This means together, as male and female, humanity reflects something of God. This means we cannot separate our bodies, also made in the image of God, our gender, from our souls and our inner experience. There is a unity God has created us with. We can't separate that from our minds, how we think about the world or think about ourselves. The bodies we are given are a part of how each of us was made to reflect and image God. And I realize this is something that is being discussed and challenged and talked about and debated in our 
culture right now. There's a larger discussion to be had, but can you see this in Genesis 1? This is our independence. Excuse me, this is our interdependence. We have a bodily interdependence. This is maybe an obvious point, but in order for human beings to come into the world, it requires the joining of two equal yet different bodies that God has created, and there is beauty in that. We have a vocational interdependence. Humanity cannot even fulfill its purpose. Be fruitful and multiply. Not one person can do that on their own, and God created two different people, male and female, in order to fill the world with beautiful royal images that reflect who he is. There's more to say about that. Here in um, verse 26 again, uh, there's a mysterious statement, and it strikes you as you read Genesis 1, where God says, let us uh, make man in our image. And you go, who is us? Who is God talking to, and who is he talking about? Again, a lot of theological ink on this one because it's very mysterious. One interpretation that I think is valid is that this could be a clue. That we are talking here, or we are seeing here, a God who does not exist alone or lonely, but exists in eternal, loving, we could say interdependent relationship with himself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that there is a kind of Trinitarian interdependence, that God is not an independent person, but God in this mysterious way is interdependent as a trinity. And so God made us to reflect that. We are not made to be isolated individuals, but we need one another to be human, literally, and also in all the ways that God has made us to be human beings. Some of you um, who follow college athletics, have you heard of NIL or name, image, and likeness? Have you heard of this? This is, some people say this is ruining college sports, but you can make your own opinion. What it is is uh, that colleges have often used images of their athletes, right, in advertisements and other things. Uh, But up until uh, recently, no college athlete was allowed to profit off of their own name, their own image, and their own likeness, right? Because we said these are students, this is not about them uh, earning money. So the argument goes is if it's my name and my image and my likeness, I own the rights to it. It's me. Why can this college earn money off of my picture, my image, and my likeness? There's a strong argument. There, Someone else can't profit or benefit off of the use of my image. This text is saying human beings reflect the name and the image and the likeness of our creator. What this means is we don't own the rights to our own lives. We are not made to simply profit and use our lives how we choose and for ourselves. We don't live for our own image, but to reflect the image of the one who made us. Okay. 
an important question you might be asking. What about our fall into sin? Doesn't this impact all of this? And yes, it does profoundly, tragically and comprehensively. The rest of the Bible teaches us about this. But are we still made in the image of God? And the answer is clearly yes. Genesis 5, after sin enters into the picture, says this in verses 1 and 2. This is the genealogy or the document containing the family records of Adam. On that day, God created man. He made him in the likeness of God. He created them male and female. When they were created, he blessed them and called them mankind, affirming we are still. And actually, from there, it goes on to give the entire genealogy of Adam, the clear point being all these people are made in the image of God even though they have fallen into sin. And again, in Genesis 9, 6, after the flood, it says this, whoever shed human blood, whoever sheds human blood, by humans his blood will be shed, for God made humans in his image. Summary. The starting point, the foundation for answering the question, who am I? What is my identity? is not something we search for and define ourselves and look within to discover. This is our prologue. This is where our story begins. This is where we find out who we are. We are made in the image of God. Now, I don't know if that seems a little bit abstract and theoretical. Let me bring out a practical point about what this might look like. The Bible takes this teaching and it gets very practical. We've already read a place where it does that in James 3, 9 and 10. I think we have this slide. If not, it's in the bulletin. James 3, in light of Genesis 1, says, With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. So we know that Jesus said our words come from our hearts. They reveal how we see people and view people in our hearts. And as people made in the image of God, we see these people with value and worth, made for a great purpose, someone I need in my life, someone who needs me, we're interdependent. When we curse people, curse here means not just when we use curse words about people, it's talking about when we demean people, insult people, discount people, make fun of people, make a joke of people, laugh at people, speak ill of people, all these things. When we do that, we are cursing people made in the image of God. Now, maybe the COVID pandemic is waning, I hope it is, but we live in another pandemic, I think, a pandemic of cursing that's infected everyone, that is everywhere and in everything. It's in politics, it's in culture, it's in the church. And James says, brothers and sisters, things should not be this way. We have a different prologue. If we as Christians agreed together, what can we do about this? There's so much speaking ill of one another. There's so much talking bad about people, made in the image of God. Things are crazy. Well, maybe here's a suggestion that I was just like looking at this and thinking about it this week. What if we just consistently lived out this verse in the book of James? What difference do you think it would make? I don't know. But we would be maybe known as people 
who don't take from or reduce the value and worth and the dignity of others. Instead, we would be the guardians of others' dignity and worth and honor as image bearers of God. And maybe then that would help us earn a right to be heard. We want to speak to others about Jesus. I want to press this a little bit further. Same stream of application. How closely, maybe you want to ask me, Eric, how closely are we to relate how we see God and how we see people made in his image who are sinful and broken and messed up? Can I get an A plus in how I see God as glorious and great and worthy and have great theology? Can I have an A plus in my relationship with God and get a D in how I see my neighbor? made in his image. Let in my mind, I'm demeaning people, insulting people, discounting people. Is that possible? The answer is no. It's a sign you don't have the A plus you think you do. The book of Proverbs shows us this. Proverbs 14.31 says, whoever oppresses a poor man insults his maker, but he who is generous to the needy honors him. Proverbs 17.5 says, whoever mocks the poor insults his maker. Proverbs 22.2 says, the rich and poor meet together. The Lord is the maker of them all. These Proverbs are saying how we see and treat people is a direct reflection of how we see and treat God himself. Wow. This is convicting. Why did the Proverbs single out the poor to make this point? I think it's because the poor are often not seen. And when they are seen by those who are not poor, they are seen as less than other optional people. And so let me ask us, are the poor worth our time, our energy, our attention, and our friendship? And you would say, I know what I'm supposed to say. (laughs) Of course they are. Then why don't they have it? This is something for us to consider. Um, In a book I read this summer by Andy Crouch, it's a book called The Life We Are All Looking For. It's a fantastic book. He talks about meditating on this passage, Genesis 1, and he was in an airport and he had two hours to kill, and he said, I'm going to just do this exercise. Maybe I'm going to try this. And every person I see as I walk through the airport and the people working in the airport, I'm just going to say in my mind, image bearer. Image bearer. Image bearer. And as he tells the story of doing this, he said, this is a profound experience for him, one that he tries to come back to time and time again. Maybe it's something we can try how God made us, he made us in his image, how God remakes us. The Bible teaches us we are made in the image of God. That's the prologue. That's how God made us. Could you come up with a better beginning to your story, to our story? I mean, could could you imagine a better beginning? It's incredible. We were made to receive God's limits as good, but the story goes on to tell us, like Adam and Eve We didn't believe God's limits were for our good, so we tried to be God's ourselves, and each one of us has done that. 
We were made to see others as glorious image bearers, but instead we insult and demean and hurt and do violence to, and we go to war against, and we distrust, and we harm one another every day. This happens every day. We look at our lives. We look at the news. That's what it's about. It's all there. We were made to see ourselves as glorious image bearers, but we all struggle with shame, hiding out of a sense of our own unworthiness, our dishonor, that we don't measure up, that we're not enough, and every single human being has this. We try to regain that lost glory through status and achievements in all kinds of ways, and it never works. We were made to see God as the one who we reflect, image, and represent, and instead we have placed ourselves at the center of things. We think about what we look like, what people think of us, what we want out of our lives. We think of our own image. And we have taken what is God's. Our lives, our gifts, and the good things God has made us to be and made it ours alone. That's the fall into sin. How do we recover? Can we recover? The Bible says yes. But we cannot recover the image ourselves. This glory, this purpose, this connection. But God can remake us into his image no matter what, no matter which part we have fallen from, no matter how far we've come. That is what Christianity is all about, the recovery and the remaking of humanity, all of us to be what we are made to be, created to be image bearers. I don't know if this is how you think about your faith. I don't know if this is how you think about what it's all about. This is what it's all about. Ephesians says, you were taught to take off your former way of life. Paul is saying, this is the gospel. This is what it's all about. Your old self that is corrupted by deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds, put on the new self, the one created according to God's likeness and righteousness and purity of the truth. Colossians 3 says, since you have put off the old self with its practices and put on the new self. You are being renewed in knowledge according to the image of your creator. This changes everything about how we think about the Christian life. That which was lost, that which was corrupted, marred, and broken, that is what God is restoring and remaking in us so that we might be fully and truly human. Is that how you think? about the gospel, the Christian life. That is what it is. Have you ever typed your name into a Google search just to see what happens? No one's done that. <laughs> I've done it, yeah. And then if you click image, have you ever done that? It's kind of scary to do. You don't know what's going to come up. I don't know what kind of images are out there from your past story. Or maybe from your current story. It's scary to do sometimes. It all depends on how popular your name is. Uh, if, there, if you have a popular name, first and last name, then you know. You don't know if you'll come up or not. Am I out there when I click image? Who knows? Now, I'm not sure about this. I think I'm the only Eric Kapoor in the world. <laughs> there's not one that I found on the internet except me. So when I type, uh, you know, there's no one else yet that I've seen. But so when I type my name and click image, and I did that, there I am, yay, okay, so that's my picture from our website. And yeah, I'm looking younger there, that's good. But then as you go on, this is the next picture that shows up right next to that one. Uh, 
That's not Eric Kapoor. Well, that's David Ta, our pastoral intern. Then the next one over is Adam. That's not me, but that's Adam. And then it starts to get weird. <laughs> then a little bit further down. Wait, go back, go back. Not, yeah, that one. This, this Elizabeth thing is all over my internet, my Google search. I don't know why. Maybe there's a Kapoor that worked on the movie. I'll have to discover that, but that doesn't, that's not my image. And then the last, the last one here, that's like an intense Indian comic book. A comic book character. And that's not me. If, you, if there's an image out there, you did that, and it had your name attached to it, and it's supposed to be you, it's supposed to represent you and reflect you, your likeness, and it isn't, it misrepresents you. What will you want to do? You want to fix it. <laughs> you want to fix it so it's accurate, so it's right, so it is an accurate image. It is a part of your likeness. And friends, this is what God is doing with us and what he offers to do in us, in our lives through Jesus Christ. Romans 8, 28 and 29. I think it's up there. Not that one yet. It says, we know all things work together for the good of those who love God, who are called according to his purpose. For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. So he would be the firstborn among many brothers and sisters. Paul says, we know this, no matter what's going on in your life, that all things, all things work for good. What does that mean? As we suffer, as we face hardship and confusion, it means that no matter what's going on, God's purpose and plan is to take all those things for those who trust in Jesus and use those to conform you into the image of his son to remake you into who you were created to be. What does this look like? Last, last point here. In 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, we're given insight into how this happens. How does this happen? What does this mean for my life? The Apostle Paul is talking about how confident he is in his ministry. He says, I don't have to trick anybody. I don't have to rely on my credentials, techniques, strategies. All I have to do is get people to look at Jesus. And here's what he says. Put the slide up, please. We all with unveiled faces are looking as in a mirror at the glory of the Lord and are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory. But if our gospel is veiled, he says, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this age has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So, he says, transformation is found by looking, looking, and beholding the glory of Jesus. But evil and sin is doing everything it can to blind us and keep us from seeing the glory of Christ who is the image of God. And then he says at the end, for God who said, let light shine out of darkness has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of God's glory in the face of Jesus Christ. When we look at the glory of the Lord Jesus, we are transformed. The image of God is recovered. What evil seeks to do is to stop us from looking at Jesus, seeing him as he is, seeing the light of the gospel and the glory of Christ, the image of God. So what God does is he brings the power of creation, let light shine out of darkness, the same God to shine in our hearts so that we see his glory in the face of Jesus Christ. And when this happens, 
We are recreated, we are remade in the image of God. So it seems the most important question of all for any of us who would want to be more fully and truly human is this. Are we seeing? Are we looking at the face of Jesus? Coming back from my sabbatical means doing Zoom meetings again. Yeah, Zoom meetings. It's good. It's a good tool. And we had a meeting this week, and we, was talk, we were talking about things. And you know how it goes. Some people's face you could see. And some people, it's just a black screen with their name. And I, I don't love that. I like seeing people's faces. I like seeing what's going on, the people that I'm talking to. And when the camera turns on, it's like, okay, now we're really talking. The gospel is when the camera turns on, we see the face of Jesus in the gospel. We see what we are made to be. We see how far we've fallen short of what we are made to be. But we see how Jesus looks upon those who have fallen short. Those who turn to him in faith. When we turn to him with our brokenness, with our fallenness, with how we don't see people as made in his image. What is on his face? The gospel is that there is joy, that there is compassion, that there is kindness, that there is grace. And in seeing that that is how God looks upon you in Jesus Christ, we are remade into whom we were meant to be, created to be. Let's pray together and ask the Lord to do that to us even now, to give us the grace to do that. Lord Jesus, we would want in this moment to gain a glimpse of your face, to remember who we are, whom we've been created to be. And even as we look upon you, and see your glory, your holiness, your perfection, how you are the one who shows us what it means to be truly and fully human and how we fall short. Thank you that time and time again as we turn to you, you remake us, you renew us, you give us hope, and you remind us that it's not up to us. So I pray this morning we would receive that hope that our faith would go deeper, and that we would behold you in all your glory. We ask it in your glorious name. Amen. Would you stand?